Unlock your Bible. Discover the true meaning of life. Learn the cause of world problems and the astounding solution. Prove for yourself what the future holds. In the Trumpet Literature Library, you will find answers to life's most important questions. Explore these vital titles on Trumpet Bookshelf. Welcome to Trumpet Bookshelf. I'm Grant Turgeon. The sun in the sky that gives us heat, energy, and life is a prophecy. Notice Psalm chapter 19. Verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. God tells us just to look up at the sky. Look at the stars. Look at the images produced by the Hubble telescope, the Webb telescope that was sent out last year. Now, at least the Hubble telescope is hurtling through space at many thousands of miles per hour, <laughs> yet it's taking crystal clear photos. The Webb telescope really is so far advanced beyond the Hubble telescope. And both of these instruments are just a testament to the creative power of man. But those telescopes are observing creative power infinity times greater than ours. Compared to the universe, our greatest telescopes are as nothing. The heavens declare the glory of God. We can just look up in the sky to see proof of God's existence. Verse 2 here in Psalm 19, Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night shows knowledge. Verse 3, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. So the universe out there is prophesying. And as we'll see in a moment, the sun itself, around which our planet orbits, is prophesying. And it's just a matter of us listening to that message, opening our eyes to see the truth. Our creator is everywhere. He is all around us here on earth, up in the sky, beyond our atmosphere, out in the seemingly endless universe. We just have to have the humility to acknowledge that fact, that God does exist. He is real. He created all of this. Now, the universe really is a marvel. Scientists continually study it. And yet they cannot seem to understand why it is all out there. The great Isaac Newton said he felt like a little boy playing on the seashore, discovering a new shell here and there in the sand. Meanwhile, the entire vast ocean was right next to him undiscovered. That's how Isaac Newton felt when he studied the universe. 
he realized that every little bit of the universe he could understand was nothing compared to the entire vast immensity of all of it that he really couldn't understand. There was so much more out there that he couldn't see and he couldn't discover it. But he still felt the childlike curiosity of a little boy. He loved looking out at the universe and admiring God's creation. You see, not too long ago, scientists believed in God and they praised God for what they saw in the universe. Only in the last century or so, or less really, has that changed, where science has become hostile toward God. It used to be pretty obvious to a lot of people that the universe was proof of God's existence. And they could read Psalm chapter 19 and say, yeah, that makes sense. The universe is prophesying. The heavens do declare the glory of God. Let's get into Psalm 19, verses 4 and 5, as we see how our son is a prophecy. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them has he set a tabernacle for the son, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices as a strong man to run a race. Now we have just a wonderful free pictorial available to you at thetrumpet.com, our awesome universe potential. And this booklet has a lot of stunning photographs, incredible information about our universe. It has even been significantly updated since the launch of the James Webb Telescope in 2022. So if you have an older copy of the booklet, you can get yourself a new one. Or you can read the updated version at thetrumpet.com for free as well. Our awesome universe potential. And this booklet by Mr. Joel Hilliker says, Our son is like a strong man or a powerful athlete. I mean, you get the picture here how the universe is just like a house for our mighty sun it's a tabernacle for the sun and it's like a bridegroom coming out of his room a big powerful strong man leaving his room and ready to face the day with courage and power it's like a powerful athlete a strong man to run a race our son is a marvel of God's creation. Notice here what Mr. Hilliker writes in Our Awesome Universe Potential about the sun. A one megaton nuclear bomb has the explosive power of one million tons of TNT. The sun produces the same amount of energy as a trillion of those bombs every second. 
That's 400 trillion trillion watts. In one second, the sun produces more energy than the entire human species has consumed throughout its entire history. So you go back through 6,000 years of man and all the food we've eaten, all of the electricity we have used, all of the gadgets we have created that require a lot of power to operate. And all of the probably 100 billion humans in all of history haven't used enough energy to match one second of our sun's output. Our sun is a ball of fire that produces more energy in one second than all humans have ever consumed. And that's just incredible to think about. And then you just realize this ball of fire, if it were any closer to us, would burn us all to death. And yet, if it were any farther away, we would not receive the warmth and the power and energy that we need from our sun. We would not be suitable, or this planet would not be suitable for life if the sun were any closer to us or any farther away from us. God positioned that furnace, <laughs> that nuclear furnace of the sun in the perfect spot. But it goes beyond just admiring the power of the sun. You see, Jesus Christ himself is characterized as the sun. Now, yes, he is the son of God, S-O-N, but also he is characterized as a sun, S-U-N, a bright, powerful, glorious God. There are some really inspiring verses in the Bible. Uh, Psalm 84, verse 11 is a good one about Jesus Christ being like the sun. Really, the sun is like him. Psalm 84, verse 11, for the eternal God is a sun and shield. The eternal will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. So God is a sun and a shield. He provides the light we need in our lives, the, the truth, the inspiration, the motivation, the vision that we need, the power of his Holy Spirit. God is a sun and a shield. He protects us from all threats if we ask for that protection, if we obey him. And you notice, as it talks about God being a son, it also gives an indication of our need to obey him. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. We start to see a little bit of a connection between the sun, S-U-N, the sun, S-O-N, and us, and how our lives should relate to Jesus Christ the Son.
Notice Malachi 4, verse 2. The son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. That son of righteousness, Jesus Christ, S-U-N, of righteousness. This is talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth and how he is going to bring light to the world. He is going to brighten this dark world when he returns. Mr. Hilliker writes here in our awesome universe potential on page 19. When Jesus Christ returns, that will be the most glorious sunrise ever. Everyone will be touched by his presence, just as they are by the light of the physical sun today. Yes, the sun itself is a prophecy. Its creator designed it to illustrate a spiritual reality. When you look at the sun, you can think about the dawning of the day of Christ's rule on earth. Every day we can get a clear view of the sun. Just make sure you don't look at it for too long. It will hurt your eyes. But you can see the sun up there in the sky, and you know, you can know what it pictures. The sun of righteousness, Jesus Christ, returning to earth with healing in his wings. Every day we have the sun in the sky as a prophecy to us of the second coming of our Savior. Now, again, it goes beyond that to how we should live every day. How, uh, how we have a duty to God and to Christ every day. The Son also tells us a little bit about that. Our responsibility to God. Because if you notice in Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6 talk about the universe being a prophecy. It talks about the glory of the universe and how it all operates. And then all of a sudden it seems to shift in verse 7. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the eternal is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the eternal is sure, making wise the simple. So, how does that work? Why, why, does, why does King David go from talking about the universe to talking about God's law in the middle of the same chapter? Why the subject change? Well, as Mr. Gerald Flurry has said on the Key of David before, it's not really a subject change. It goes from talking about God's law governing the universe to talking about how his law should also govern our lives every day. In fact, that is how we can be happy. That is how we can be blessed John 13, verse 17 says, If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. You have to do what you know is in God's law. You read God's law, you understand it, and then you have to do it. You have to obey God. 
And as it says here in Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the eternal is perfect, converting the soul. Keeping God's law converts us. It transforms our minds. It allows us to learn to think like God, and it unlocks innumerable blessings that God will pour out into our lives. God's laws govern the universe. That's why scientists can study the universe, and they take for granted certain laws. They know where certain planets are going to be at certain times. They know when the sun and our moon will align for an eclipse. They know how all the things out there in the universe operate. And it's all because they know that somehow, some way, there are absolute, constant, unshakable laws governing the universe. And yet, so many scientists can look at the laws in the universe and reject even the possibility of a lawgiver, a law enforcer. Where did that law come from? How could law exist without a lawgiver? I mean, just think about here on earth when there are laws in human society. Do laws just appear out of nowhere? Do they just poof out of thin air? Obviously, every time a law exists, some human being invented it. And it's the same with the universe. Every time a law exists, that's because God invented it. And that's why in Psalm 19, it goes from talking about the law of the universe to the law of God. Now, we can, we can go over and take a closer look at Malachi 4, verse 2, that son of righteousness verse. Malachi 4, verse 2, But unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. Mr. Gerald Fleury wrote an article titled How to Be Happy. And there's a Key of David program, television program by that same title. And I'll put that in the show notes. But he quotes this verse, Malachi 4 verse 2. And then he says, here is a picture of a young calf in the stall that has been born recently and is jumping around because it's so thrilled to be alive. And this tells you how to have such abundant life, how to be happy and bright and shining like the sun. It starts with fearing God. You see, People don't want to think about the connection between God's law and happiness. There is a common message in society that laws restrict us, but not God's law. That's the difference. God's law is perfect, converting the soul. God's law makes us happy, like a calf of the stall, jumping for joy at being born excited to explore the world around it. And there it tells you how to be happy, how to jump for joy like that young calf 
Malachi 4 verse 2. Fear my name. That's the key. Notice verse 4. Remember you the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. You see? Fear God. Remember his law, his statutes and judgments. Keep his commandments. Obey him. Let God govern your life with his law, just like he governs the universe with physical laws. And that's how you will be happy. There is a real example from history reinforcing this point as well. Back in 2009, the Hezekiah Bulla was the first and only clay seal impression belonging to an Israelite or Judean king ever found in a controlled scientific excavation. The Hezekiah Bulla, King Hezekiah of Judah, and real proof of his existence was found on an archaeological dig in Jerusalem. The late Dr. Alot Mazar uncovered it, this clay seal, which basically was a stamp of the king's authority. It was like uh, a symbol of his royal house. And the clay seal had an interesting depiction on it. Notice here, uh, this is an article titled Hezekiah Bulla from armstronginstitute.org back on May 1st, 2020. The rare display of a sun with downturned wings indicates protection. A sun with downturned wings? Doesn't that sound exactly like Malachi 4 verse 2? The sun of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Now, this is what's so fascinating about the Hezekiah Bulla. Some other bulle of Hezekiah had been discovered, supposedly. They were on the antiquities market, which it's a lot harder to verify the authenticity of those ones. But those Hezekiah bulle on the antiquities market had a very different symbol. And it was more of a beetle, which is an Egyptian symbol a pagan symbol. So you could see the creeping paganism in Judea, in Judah, where even on King Hezekiah's royal seal, there was this beetle symbol. And yet the one that was discovered in an archaeological excavation in 2009 has a very different symbol. The sun with downturned wings that's a symbol that comes straight out of Malachi 4, verse 2. Straight out of the Bible. It's not a pagan symbol at all. And so you wonder, why the change? Why did Hezekiah go from this pagan beetle symbol to the sun with downturned wings? This article says, as summarized by Dr. Alot Mazar, based on this design... This seal can best be attributed to the time directly after Assyria's invasion and Hezekiah's miraculous healing. Okay, so Hezekiah experienced two epic miracles in his life. 
Assyria was marching through and conquering all of Judah. And then in one night, God used a death angel to slaughter 185,000 Assyrian soldiers outside Jerusalem's wall. Just overnight, the entire mighty Assyrian army that was about to destroy Jerusalem was wiped out. It was a miracle from God because Hezekiah looked to God and he looked to God's prophet, Isaiah. And not long after this, God said that Hezekiah needed to get his house in order because he was about to die. Hezekiah cried out to God for a miracle and God blessed him with 15 more years of life. So, having his nation saved from destruction, having his life miraculously extended. Those are pretty life-changing miracles. And you have to think, Hezekiah learned to look to God. He saw God. And he didn't want a pagan symbol on his royal seal anymore. He wanted a symbol that really meant something. The son of righteousness, the son with downturned wings like it has in Malachi 4 verse 2, picturing Jesus Christ, who is like the sun in the sky, who will return to this earth with the glorious brilliance of that sun in the sky. Sometimes it takes really direct involvement in our lives miraculous, undeniable involvement in our lives by God for us to finally wake up. Hezekiah saw God. He saw the son of righteousness. And every single day we can look up in the sky, we can see that sun up there, and we can picture Jesus Christ's second coming. And we can realize that God wants us to be happy and he wants us to govern our lives with his perfect law, just like the universe is governed by those perfect physical laws. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Trumpet Bookshelf. You've been listening to Trumpet Bookshelf. Please email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for new episodes every Friday at 10 a.m. Central Time.